Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This sermon from Sunday, October 23rd, starts a new series called Stories of Hope. It takes a look at the things that transform us most are not objective truths somewhere out there, but rather personal testimony, subjective small T truths. Loving God, uh, help me. Send your spirit. Uh, I might be wrong. Amen. So, um, narrative therapy is not like Freudian therapy. Freudian therapy, I'm going to put a couch out here. You're going to come up and I'm going to talk about your parents and your childhood experience and find out why you're as screwed up as you are. Um, and so there's a lot of background work. Or Jungian, which I also appreciate and uh, make good use of in my own thinking of my life, highly symbolic, and let's talk dream images, and let's talk about the symbols here, etc. Let's talk about the symbols you come up, the archetypes in your own life. Narrative therapy is more a celebration of subjectivity, which is really where we are today, a celebration of subjectivity. Narrative therapy recognizes that, guess what? Uh, I, as counselor, don't have access to your dad. I have no idea if what you're telling me is the truth objectively or not. Narrative therapy says, look, the only person you have is who's coming in to be with you. And so you try to make them experts in their own story. And you listen to the story they're telling, even though it includes many other people, and you're seeing how that story shapes them, especially you're wondering about their own agency. You want to make them the expert in telling their story. And you want to hear about patterns and then inviting what we call reframe so they might tell that story in a way that could give them more confidence more sense of being the central figure in the story of their life rather than, say, a victim, rather than, say, uh, tossed and tumbled about by outside forces. How you telling your story and me as pastor, counselor, friend, parent, brother, all these things can help you be more who you are, uh, can enrich uh, your life talking about stories in these next few weeks, stories of hope at New Hope, because having on screen or hearing from individuals is a way we get inside our hearts. Uh, Jordan last week was talking about being transactional in our religion. This should happen. I'm going to do this. I'll sit in the pew. The guy up front better do his thing. Uh, And instead looking for transformation how the story we tell, the story in which we live, changes us if we let it. Uh, But it requires faith. It requires a letting go of some infatuation we have with fact, some infatuation we have with, well, what actually happened? Uh, And instead saying, what would it be like um, if this uh, were true? Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a book called Leaving Church. She is, spoiler alert, was an Episcopal priest and a wonderful writer. She talks about her um, growing in faith and her own sense of call through her career and then beyond uh, the church. 
It's a hard and wonderful, beautiful book I highly recommend because it'll feed into some of your gravest and most wonderful doubts. What she says regarding growth, and especially as we're celebrating uh, this journey uh, through Exodus, is it isn't really wilderness unless there's something out there that can eat you. (laughs) Otherwise, it's a walk in the park. Otherwise, it's me hiking on a trail up in Conifer. I bring that up because uh, what I'm teaching this morning is not easy, uh, nor is it safe. Uh, And if you think this feels a little unsafe, uh, you're right. When Jordan's story of telling his parents about going to seminary, hey, mom and dad, good news, I'm thinking about becoming a pastor. We all would think, oh, what parent wouldn't be proud of that? Not his parents. Uh, Concern. Oh, no. Don't you know that many people going to seminary go there and lose their faith? Um, They're right. It's not a safe place to be. I highly recommend it. Uh, I've been eaten many times. (laughs) I've lost it all many times. I recommend that too, though it's excruciating. And I suppose probably the key understanding of Don Shrum about the cross is uh, how to let go of self, actually let go of ego, uh, even if you're being eaten. Um, More on that in Lent, come on. Let's, uh, we're going to do, as we're wrapping up Exodus these next couple weeks, I want to start a three-week study, 45 minutes a shot over here somewhere. And uh, you're going to join me, if you would, to talk about the story of how we got here and the story we tell ourselves about how do we go from wandering in the wilderness to being a nation state and writing down our story. It's a really important piece of our background. And as I've mentioned before, the story we all share, I believe, may be significantly wrong-headed, unbiblical, and really dangerous. I want to talk about that story. My sermons, by the way, tend to be better if they're not too much teaching. They tend to be a little cognitive and nerdy. What really helps, just as a congregation new to me, is if I'm able to do some other study Bible study out there, it seems to tap off some energies and it improves the sermons. (laughs) And so you might think of this as you see your friends going out to brunch today uh, at 1045. uh, You you could say to them, hey, I'm I'm going to Bible study. Um, You owe me. You owe me for next week's sermon. You could think of coming to my study as as taking one for the team. That's what you could do. Uh, Come join me for Bible study. We're going to have a great time. 45 minutes uh, after you get your donut and coffee. So uh, it feels a little strange being here this morning after being out for a week. I'm the new guy in town, but not really. Uh, I'm aware of coming back and loving to see you again and still learning a lot. And it feels different this morning. Uh, You guys like talking about a long hello. That's what we're in the middle of uh, with your interim transitional pastor who may only have 11 months left, 10, don't know. Don't know. Today, a little bit of history to talk about foundations, and especially where I come from and what you have already heard some and what you'll tend to be hearing from me. The story of our tradition is wrapped up in Exodus, as we've been discussing, but especially as we come to the Ten Commandments. 
Uh, it's our initial efforts to secure, to, for quality control. What are the foundations? What are the fundamentals we want to hang on to as we are people of faith? Uh, during our worship meeting this week, where we always get together and discuss last week's worship, how things went, what worked, what didn't, what we could improve, what might be different, uh, and then turn to this week. Nick said, uh, wow, that's 21 verses. That's kind of a long passage out of Exodus 20. Um, do you think we could cut some of the commandments? <laughs> so, and this led to a very hilarious but not terribly productive conversation around which of those 10 uh, would we keep? And by the way, Nick, knowing that it was long, instead gave us this, which is the best reading of the Ten Commandments I've heard in my 63 years. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Uh, enjoy your clapping now. Enjoy your clapping now. Um, the music helped the story go on underneath that long wandering passage. The poetry of it, the interpretation of it, helped a very blocky, objective, boring passage uh, stick uh, for this pastor. Wonderful. Why these 10? <laughs> Why not five? Why not 20? Which ones are the most important? You remember, of course, when they asked Jesus about foundations because he's teaching all this new stuff, and they said, What are the, and they tried to trick him. What are the most important commandments, knowing that if he says, well, you shouldn't murder, they'll say, well, so idolatry is fine then. And if he says you shouldn't steal, they'll say, oh, so you think adultery is okay. Um, do you remember his response? There's some really helpful hints right behind me. Um, he came up with an extremely subjective non-answer. Didn't list any of the commandments, instead invented his own. And they're going, wait a minute, that's not in the 10. They're flipping back. They're finding what he's highlighting out of our shared story to answer their questions. Jesus' version. Jesus' version that shaped our past and became his subjective but sticky, much better response. Um, to what other foundations? Here's our foundations. Here's the center of this morning. Here's the foundations as some have described. Uh, the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, the virgin birth, the miracle powers of Jesus. Substitutionary atonement means a very specific rendering of what God was doing at the cross. It has to do with, uh, you deserve to die, but instead God sent Jesus to die. Um, and then the bodily resurrection. These foundationals, they became known as fundamentals. Here's our little history lesson for today. Bear with me just for the next few minutes. Um, in the late 1800s, in reaction to modernity and specifically criticism, I'm not talking about nasty, I don't like your tie, or that was a bad music. I'm talking about literary criticism, evaluating carefully. This is what I've given my career to, how to read carefully, sociologically, economically, as we'll find in Bible study. Literary, how do, how do stories unfold? Where's the plot? Who's the characters? Where's the problems? Uh, this was the first time in the late 1800s, uh, source criticism. How did we get the Bible? Where are those five books of Moses from? Not Moses, newsflash. 
how the Gospels get where they are. This is the first time we started saying, uh, looks like Mark was first because Matthew and Luke borrow heavily word for word from another source like, oh, there it is, it's Mark. Here's the consequence of that theologically. It's a real challenge. We wanted to find objectivity in the middle of that wilderness. Uh, There was great... um, Disruption. What are we to believe? What does the Bible really say? What is capital T truth? So we came up with Bible inerrancy, which we'd never talked about in the first 1,800 years of Christianity. We believed then, as priests, students, disciples, that there was a few different layers of truth inside of Scripture. Uh, the surface level, what we would call the literary level, and then a less clear, symbolic, spiritual reading. And that was fine. That's how we interpreted the scripture. Inerrancy is a very new idea. I would say a new and, by the way, unfortunate idea. The Bible never claims to be inerrant. All right? I get why we came up with this. I get the impetus. I want those foundations written in stone as well. At the same time, by the way, something else that had never been said before, uh, Papal infallibility, right? You can see the same energy. What the Pope says need not be questioned because he never makes a mistake in interpreting theology and faith. What a, what a ridiculous idea. I'm sorry. As a thinking human, as a critical reader that can't be, those are designed to shut down the conversation, to end any discussion. Um... I think it's 1912, just right before World War I anyway. A couple of Presbyterian elders. Raise your hand if you've ever served as a Presbyterian elder. Quite a few. Raise your hand, by the way, if you've ever been ordained as a deacon. All right, we are a lot in the same group uh, because these elders came together and said, this modern problem is too much. Here's a pamphlet. I think it's because they were in L.A. with a big group good audience and they had the finances to make whatever their flyer was this is uh, the start of fundamentalism believe it or not just a hundred years old interesting to put out here's the five things that you got to believe if you're going to be ordained as deacon elder or minister of the word and sacrament Uh, we're going to set our foundations we're going to set these commandments these five in stone And uh, unless you adhere to these with a yes, you can't serve. Wow. We'll learn more about these. You've heard maybe all of them. But uh, I just want to say to you, if you're only two or three or four for five, uh, anywhere on here, zero through five, you're in good orthodox company. I need to say that even though you don't believe it. Um. If you're five for five, uh, what I want to tell you is that you're going to have uh, in sometimes a hard year, and sooner or later, you're going to think, is Don Shrum a Christian? Um, Yeah, I'm sorry for that. I'm trying to do the best job I can of figuring out who we are. If you're zero for five, I'm kind of surprised you're here. (laughs) Um, you're going to find this pastor helpful to you 
And I guess I'd also want to say you would find in me, frankly, more of a friend than you might expect. Um, what happened uh, is they put these foundationals in a flyer and it became very popular. And so the church had to deal uh, with them. In, in 1922, by the way, I just was reading some history, and this was Emily Post's first piece, which I love, because in many ways, Emily Post was our modern version of how do we get along in a world where people have different backgrounds? Emily Post, you might think she's irrelevant. I think she's factually a first person trying to deal with pluralism and saying, we don't know how to get along because my family's different than yours. Here's how we get along. Do these kind of things. Speak about these kind of things. It's just an interesting piece. You could put this whole sermon under the role of manners. <laughs> would have been great. Would have been great. Different icons, different symbols. Anyway, and then in 1925, raise your hand if you recognize about the monkey scopes trial. This is a huge piece of history. Oh, I'm surprised, not more. Let me tell you a little about it just because it's important. Uh, where the conservative teacher scopes, he was down south teaching evolution. And they said, stop teaching evolution. That's not biblical. You're going against our faith. And so he lost his job. He went on trial to get his job back. Um, and William Jennings Bryan, uh, one of the most important uh, figures in our 20th century, uh, came to carry out the lawsuit um, against him. Uh, he won, by the way. And Scopes had to stop teaching or he lost his job or something. And then a few months later, he was all turned over on a technicality and he could go back to teaching. But this is where we were 100 years ago. And more important, even though uh, the conservatives of the time uh, won the battle, they lost the war. Clarence Darrow was the scientific thinking uh, lawyer uh, for the progressives, for the liberals, who came in. By the way, this was our first big radio uh, time on, on it, was like, it was like the OJ trial times five. You can remember back to that. The whole country, millions were listening in. And even though the conservatives won, uh, Clarence Dare was great at making the, the story of, really? Living inside a whale for three days, um, axe heads floating, uh, pieces in the wilderness, the man, he made it all seem pretty silly. Um, uh, this could be because um, the conservatives weren't as well versed in science, uh, but as, as a culture, what happened is fundamentalism was made to look silly. Um, that was the net result a hundred years ago. So here's my point this morning. In 1926 and 27, uh, the General Assembly, that's our highest uh, body as Presbyterians said, uh, no. Said, you can't set these five up. How come there's not ten? <laughs> How come there's not three? What they really said was, we don't have the authority as a national church to set up these fundamentals because they're not in Scripture, in our tradition. Uh, we're going to allow pastors, elders, deacons to have symbolic, metaphoric readings of these pieces. I bring this up because that seems radical to you, and that's because our history is horrible. For a hundred years, the General Assembly has said, okay, 
Some folks say that's where the Presbyterian Church lost its way. That's why we're in decline today. We gave up on quality assurance. We let go of the fundamentals. And now pastors can believe whatever they want and elders for crying out loud. And how are we going to do with this? Others of us say, wow, those trials are why I can still call myself a Presbyterian today. Uh, The best and worst of history. Uh, the unfortunate piece is it was really about a polity issue. Again, we don't have the authority to take up this case. We don't have the authority to set that standard for our churches. Um, the result, the polity, how we function issue, became the theological issue. Every year, every couple of years, another church across the country will say, we got we to gotta fix this. We're going to send a new overture to General Assembly saying, here's the basics of what you got to believe. we got to get this thing back on track again. Have you heard Don Trump's preaching? Uh, and it never gets out of committee anymore because the committee that it's assigned to us say, we know how this goes. We've been having this fight for 100 years. It always goes the same way. Um, that's how we're set up. Great loss, great gain. Uh, you decide. Just to review, in modernity, (laughs) we came to an understanding of subjective truth. In modernity, we acknowledged for a hundred years anyway, that guess what? Are you looking for light as a wave or particle? Yes, it is. (laughs) As the physicians, as the physics say, physicists say, all data is theory laden. You're looking for objective truth. It doesn't exist. That's a really awful thing to say from up here. I know that. Give me a minute. Einstein, theory of relativity. It matters where you're standing in terms of what you're deciding and discerning is true. It's a great shock to us who want certainty. Historically, from the 1960s on, we've not only recognized that subjectivity, uh, but we've celebrated and said, now let's look at the different groups of people and what they see is true. How do we lift up this collection of subjectivities? And that's weird for you and me, even, even now. There's a significant portion in here deciding this is one of the worst sermons I've heard in a long time, and it might be the last one I hear from Don. Um, your kids and grandkids live and breathe this. They know it's true. They know a lot more than you. They live in this world. They will never again wonder, what? There's no capital O, objective capital T, truth? Years ago, they decided that. That's where they live. Uh, We are playing catch-up. I feel for us. I know why we want it written in stone and pick a number and carry it around for our journey. Um... Oh, good, it's 10.30, we're at the end. Uh, I just want to tell you this. We as Christians don't believe in objective truth either. We believe all truth should be subject to Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, the only way we find the true in life, the only way we can really be free The only way we can live is to put everything we have and know at his feet. That's what we actually proclaim. That you can't be saved by your head. You can't be saved by stepping back and pretending to not have uh, any skin in the game. 
We believe just the opposite. That truth involves stepping in and saying, I'm taking a chance in this. I have faith in this. It's a risk to me. There's things out there that can eat you. It matters. The meaning of the incarnation is God, absolute truth, capital G, only has meaning when she lands somewhere. She said, they're not going to listen to commandments. I better send my son. I better send flesh and blood that can die. That's how the story might finally become sticky and land somewhere and transform some lives. I'm grateful for it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.